Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, my friends. I want to let you all know that my very first book, The Path of an Eagle, How to Overcome and Lead, after being knocked down, is now available for pre-order. I'll make sure the link is available in the show notes below. All right, my friends. Let's do the show. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome everyone to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now let's journey into the story box together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. My friends, God didn't design you to be a doormat. He wanted you to live the very best version of yourself possible. And my guest today is none other than Dr. Alison Cook, who is a psychologist and writer who empowers women to heal from past wounds, develop a strong sense of self, forge healthy relationships with others, and experience a loving God who is for them and not against them. Her popular blog and podcast reach more than 50,000 people each and every week. She specializes in bringing faith and psychology together to create real change in people's lives. Her first book, Boundaries for Your Soul, is a faith-based adaptation of the fast-growing evidence-based internal family system uh, model of therapy. It provides a step-by-step approach to managing emotions in partnership with God Prior to her work in counseling, Dr. Allison was a congressional aide on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., and she taught at Phillips Exeter uh, Academy, Denver Seminary, and Wyoming State Girls School for Adjudicated Teens. Some of Allison's most valuable life lessons were discovered while stage acting as a hobby, believe it or not. And this conversation is all about finding the very best version of you, what it actually looks like, and helping you to break free from painful patterns, mend your past, and discover your true self in God, which I, you've heard me say it many, many times, like your purpose is not anything to do with what you do, it has everything to do with who you are. It is found first and foremost in Christ because he 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 made you to be the to be you really to to be alive and to live this life. So expect to learn why uh, don't I know what I am, what I want, or who I am for that for that fact? How do I find my voice? How do I get them to change? 
and what that actually means. What if other people respond with anger, blame, or they try and guilt trip me? Why doesn't God just fix everything? I mean, that's a huge question, which we try and tackle, right? It's a big, big question. (laughs) It is something that I myself have thought about many, many times. And I hope that you guys really, really get a lot from Dr. Allison and her incredible story, her wisdom and and the advice that comes along with it. So my friends, if you do get something from it, please share it around to all your friends and your family. Let everyone know about this one. I would greatly appreciate each and every one of you. You can go and get a copy of a brand new book. It's called The Best of You. Uh, break free from painful patterns, mend your past and discover your true self in God. Link for that will be in the show notes below. Also, don't forget that my very first book is just around the corner. It'll be launching in a couple of days time. I cannot believe I'm saying that. I am absolutely pumped. So now is the time for each and every one of you that are listening to go and get a copy of the book right now. Links for that will be in the show notes below, but it's coming out in the US, uh, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, all over the place. So you can make sure that you can go and get a copy. Uh, I would be so, so grateful, especially on Amazon too, because you know, it would be great to have an Amazon bestseller, but um, that's just my pride and ego talking there. Anyway, I hope that you guys can get blessed from reading the book that I worked really, really hard in actually creating for you guys. All right, my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into the story box and learn more about the best of you and how to do that as we listen to the incredible wisdom, the advice, and the stories of none other than Dr. Allison Cook. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I, for one, am really, really excited to have you here. Thank you for once again saying yes uh, to being on my show. The very first question that I have for you before we journey into your backstory, why you do what you do and all the good things is what does success look like for you? I love that question. Uh, For me, it looks like a life on the outside that flows from a deeply anchored place on the inside. So success to me, it may be wonderful things on the outside, but more importantly, it's when everything is flowing from a deeply anchored and rooted place on the inside. Can you sort of describe that a little bit more for me? Like what does that actually entail like on a daily basis? Yeah, Yeah, I have a, a chapter in the last chapter of my book, The Best of You, I talked about living at peace with yourself and what that means. And I feel like that's been the journey of my life is trying to figure out how do I live at peace with myself? And what does that mean? Because it sounds like, mm-hmm. you know, you just walk around, you know, you know, and, and it's not that, um, you know, success, when I've tasted success, it feels like I am really connected to my true self. I am connected to the best of who I am. And simultaneously aware of the many different ways I can go off course, you know, the different parts of me to get to the IFS stuff that can also kind of hijack me and, and take me off course with compassion. And so it's this deep sense of awareness of the best of who I am, the best of who God is, man. And, and it's, it comes from having examined the corners of my soul and, and I know 
what's in there. God knows what's in there. The people that I trust know what's in there. And then I just get to have fun living because I don't care what anybody else thinks. And some of that means, man, I get to write books. I get to do a podcast. But more importantly, it means I know. I know why. I know what motivates me. I know what I'm good at. I know what's hard for me. I know what takes me off course. God knows. And a few trusted people know. And that's freedom. So to me, that's success is freedom. How did you realize all this, Allison? Was it <laughs> like a wake up moment, like catalyst? Or was it sort of more like this gradual over the course of your life, different points for you? I realized that I had started to glimpses. I've been working at it for 25 years, you know, as an adult, as a young adult, kind of without realizing it. So it comes, a lot of it comes in the rear view mirror, right? You go, oh, but about two years ago, I realized, oh, I'm starting to taste freedom. And I didn't know, I knew I wanted it, but I didn't know what it would feel like or how I would get it. And it came after a medical crisis. And I mm. talk about this in the opening chat, the opening in, in the introduction of my book. Um, I had a stroke mm. um, about an almost two years and I'm okay. Thanks to the swift action of my, my husband and the doctors, but it scared me to death, mm. scared me a lot. It was a, a real trauma a response that I had. And in that six months after that, I just had to kind of, I love your terminology, open the box <laughs> even deeper, go even deeper, go even further in what really matters, who, you know, and there was a moment. So, so it was, to answer your question, it was years, yeah. years of trying for something, but I didn't know how to get it. And there's a lot in that that I can unpack for you, like different key moments, tons of different key moments. But the most recent key moment was after that. And I thought, oh my gosh, here I am sitting by myself before God with nothing because I had to clear the deck. You know, I had to stop work, close down my practice for a few months. I'm in the middle of nowhere because it's a pandemic. My family had relocated. And I had that moment. If all goes away, what matters? And mm -hmm. I knew. And it was my freedom. And it was the freedom to, to know myself before God and to know that I'm loved. And to know that that, you know, that that's enough. And it sounds cliche, but I felt it at every fiber of my being. And it's something I've been pursuing for a really long time in different ways. But finally, I'd come, I caught that glimpse. And I'm not going to say I live there every single day, but more and more frequently. Almost every day I can go, no, no, I know what home, I know that home base now. I know how to get back there. Thank you for sharing that. I like how you also brought up it's not a cliche, but I often say if we mention the word cliche, you know why it's a cliche in the first place is because it's true. It's so true. that is the the important factor there. And I'm I'm interested in when you did go through your stroke, mm -hmm. do you know what sort of was there a lot of stress involved? Because my grandfather had a brainstem stroke mm -hmm. and he had two of them actually. The second one ended up killing him. Mm -hmm. But what was sort of like, do you know, was there a lot of buildup towards or just like a sudden thing for you? No. And that's what was so scary. I'm healthy. I'm in my forties. I have no risk factors. It was out of the blue, wow. which is why I classify it as a trauma in the sense of not everything is a trauma, but it, it was so like, I think when something happens that shouldn't happen, you know, if you're in a car accident, it's scary, scary and probably traumatic. And also you might have, you might understand what happened. Mm -hmm. 
This was just out of the blue. All of a sudden, I could not move the left side of my body. And there was no reason why. Still, the doctors don't exactly know why. Mm. And that is that illusion of control, right? That illusion of safety was just ripped out. I've always been really healthy, taken that for granted. So I didn't know. And that's what was, even though I walked out of the hospital after three days, for the most part, okay, physically, because they stopped, you know, they caught it in time. Mm. The, The scary part was, that took me to God was, whoa, like, sometimes things happen that, why, why, you know, we can't explain. Mm. And we know that as people of faith, we know that. But when you really have to go face to face with it, it takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah, there's been many times like that for me. And ultimately, I just think of it like God is trying to make us focus more on him a little bit more in in trusting him. So if I was to sort of try and relate to your story a little bit, I haven't had a stroke, but I ended up getting meningitis and I was, I was blind during that time. And I had to learn how to trust the, the doctor that I couldn't see. And a big part of me in in trusting someone is actually seeing them in their eyes. And He told me like he's he's about to do a lumbar puncture and he goes, you have a 50-50% chance that lumbar puncture will be successful. And the other part of it is you could potentially be paralyzed from the waist down or in the worst case, die from it, can hit the wrong spot and it could just, yeah. And so I was like wrestling with God the entire time. Like, why is this number one happening to me of all people? And secondly, the voice just kept saying to me, do you trust me? Do you trust me? And I kept saying, well, of course I do. Of course I do. Why wouldn't I? But really I didn't. And mm. that was the, the fighting point for me. So I, I understand like looking at like, why is God doing this to me? Yeah. Like that it's a tough question to sort of ask like yourself, because a lot of people in the world today, and I wanted to ask you this question, Alison, from your own perspective, like why is there suffering? Why is there so much pain that a lot of people experience? If there is a God and I know there is, but for a lot of people that don't know that there is a God, why is there so much pain? Why do these things happen to good people? You know, I love what you're saying. I'm so sorry that happened to you. I, the question that kept coming to me is, what does God actually promise? So what am I trusting God for? That's a tough question when you really drill down on it scripturally, right? And just in our own, because it was like, I wanted God to give me a guarantee that this was never going to happen again. And it's like, God wouldn't, it's like, God's just like, and so then it's like, well, what, what does, and this gets to your question about success and where I've landed on what can't, what does God promise? And I boil it down to, he promises the fruit of the spirit, which is joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control and a closeness with his spirit brings all of that. And it's like, okay, God, that I can trust that. And that doesn't mean you don't let bad things happen because you do. We see it. So, I mean, you can't explain the atrocities that happen to people. 
you know, in different parts of the country, in our own neighborhood, in our own, you know, these really hard things happen. But what we do know is that God brings the fruit of his spirit and that's enough. That's enough. You know, that, that is eventually where I was like, I sense that P that's what I meant by I have no, I have no guarantee here, not even my life, but I have your peace and I feel it. It's not abstract. Okay. I'm good. You know, that, that's kind of how I wrestled with that, where that landed me is what, what does God actually promise us? Cause there is a lot that he doesn't promise, you know, he promises to not leave us alone. He promises to be with us. He promises to give us those fruit of the spirit. But beyond that, boy, you know, it's, it's, there's some tough things that happen and I don't know how to explain that to people. And, and as a therapist, I'll say, I'll put on my therapist hat. I don't want to say to someone who comes to me and says this awful thing has happened to me to say, well, you know, God, I want to say uh, that that's hard. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't think we have to explain God, yep. you know? God's big enough, but I do know, you know, here's what I'll say. I don't know. I don't know why God lets these things. Why is God letting, you know, Ukraine happen? You know, why does God let these, you know, but I do know that he loves you, mm-hmm. that he's with you and that we're going to get through this together. You know, it's that kind of thing. That's kind of where I go all the way down. And I think when we've experienced something like what you've experienced, what I've experienced, it comes from a deeper, you know, it's like a deeper, more like we've faced it in the, in the, in the face. It's less of head knowledge. It comes, I, I call it whole body knowing. Is there, because you're a psychologist, is there mm-hmm. a place or where is the place more or less for God when it does come down to psychology? And by that, do you mean when there is an actual like mental illness? Yeah. Like more the intersection of faith in regards to human psychology, does God play an important role or where does he play an important role? Cause a lot of psychologists would say, Oh no, we can't include God here. It's not, it's not good. It doesn't work. Yep. Yeah, can't include religion, that sort of thing. It's one of my favorite questions, which is why I studied both. Um, I studied master's in counseling and seminary, but then I went on to get a PhD in both religion and psychology because of exactly what you're saying. It was like the psychology world is saying, no, God, it's all psychology. We have the answers. The faith world was saying no psychology back then. I mean, that this was in the, you know, in the 90s. It's changed a lot, but there's still a little bit of it. The faith world was like, no, God, it's all God no psychology, right? Which doesn't make sense to me either. Cause I'm like, well, we go to doctors. Mm. We, we understand that medicine, that God can work through medicine, that God can work through scientists to create cures, right? Sure. God is behind that, but he works through his people who go get trained and study and learn and, you know, create cures. And so why wouldn't it be the same in psychology? And so that became my my area of intersection being raised in a faith community where I thought, well, I just need to pray for these answers. I just need to trust God more. And then I began to think, but you know, some people have anxiety more than others. Why is that? Does that mean they're a worse Christian? Does that mean they're a worse person of faith? No, no. There's so many factors. There's trauma. There's the brain. There's biochemistry. There's genetic predisposition. There's, you know, there's all these variables. God knows that. It doesn't bother God when someone or depression, you know, there's so many variables. And so I set out on a a quest to go, let's figure out 
all the things that we can know, can understand, and God's still part of it, right? So let's say I'm somebody or you're somebody or we know somebody that has a diagnosis. Maybe they have an anxiety disorder. We get to go, how does God, let's do everything that we can do as humans to figure out how to ameliorate the effects of that. And how does your faith come alongside of you in that? Because God doesn't shame you for that. Any more than God shames someone who has a stroke or has, you know, uh, right? There's no shame in it, right? So we take the shame out. This is something I struggle with. This is how I cope with it. And, and this is where my faith is part of that. And maybe God didn't heal me from it, but boy, does God meet me in it and love me in it and not shame me for it. And you know what I mean? That that's a little bit of how my work, I'm always trying to peel back the onion of what do we, you know, what can we control? What can't we control? How does God come into all of it? Mm -hmm. And I will say as a faith-based therapist, when God is part of that process, because when we're connected to God, we're connected to so much more of, of the person God made us to be. So we have access to more resources. It doesn't mean it takes everything away. Yeah. Where do you land on when Christians say, I don't need a therapist. I don't need any of those strategies. God is the only one for me. He can heal me of my depression. He can heal me of all those things. Where do you land on that kind of conversation? I mean, I would say to someone, um, you know, with compassion and, you know, that's, I'm curious if you go to a doctor, if you break an arm, Mm -hmm. you know, you probably would. And so I would just, want someone with that kind of thinking to understand that the brain is susceptible to ailments just as the body is. Mm -hmm. It's no different. It's no different. We know we can study now we can see now. And so there's no stigma to being someone with a predisposition to depression any more than there's someone being with a predisposition to any ailment. Um, And And so therapists are a wonderful tool of healing that God has given us to help us. I don't think it takes the place of, you know, our faith, but it's, it's a mechanism by which we can learn how the brain works. Um, And so I would just hope someone would be open, um, open, have curiosity, you know, even if they don't get it to, to be open with curiosity, Um, shame is really what hurts people. And so when we start saying things like, oh, I don't need therapy, God healed me, you know, we don't want to shame other people. And that can be a shaming message. And there are so many people, I can tell you right now, who have desperately prayed for God to take away their depression, their anxiety, their bipolar disorder, um, their trauma, yeah. the, the residual effects of their trauma. And and are we want to really wanting to send the message to those people that, well, you're just not a good enough your faith just isn't strong enough. Would we say that to someone who suffered through a terrible illness? Yeah. You know, it's a very shaming message. We just want to be careful about that. And it's not kind either. No, it's not empathetic. It's not compassionate. It's very damning yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So I wanted to go back a little bit before we go forward, because I, I don't think I finished off with your, your stroke story. Um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you about, how long did it take you to recover from that? Physically, a matter of 
weeks. I have one residual effect of it and it's very minor um, in my in my left hand that never went away. They just said, you know, because when they when they break up the clot, this is why I love the brain, right? Because as a as a psychologist, my, my doctors were laughing at me. They're like, you ask more questions than most of our patients. And I was like, well, I'm not a neuropsychologist, but I do love the brain. And so I wanted to know which part of the brain was injured, right? So when they break up a clot in the brain, there's a there's a there's a brain injury. Now for me, it was tiny enough. They got it fast enough that it's just a very very. But that doesn't heal, right? And this is what's so fascinating for me is even though I'm a psychologist, not a not a doctor, is I I see that. But what happens is your brain is we, we call it neuroplasticity builds all these new neural pathways so that essentially I have no I didn't even need physical therapy. Like I I was fine. Um, many people with strokes, they can go get physical therapy. It's not that their brain, that injury heals. It's that the brain learns to build new pathways that allow them to do the thing again, that they mm. couldn't do because of the stroke. So for me, it was very quick and there was very little residual damage. The the emotion, that's what's interesting about why God allowed that, right? It gave me this window into like what I love, which is how the brain can be so um, resilient. Um, and, but, but for me, it was more mentally and emotionally. It took me months to, I was on what I would call a fight flight response, a trauma response where my body was highly anxious, waking up at night. Um, and it just took a while for my nervous system to learn to trust myself, the world, my body and God again. When we are talking about trauma patterns, because you, yeah. you mentioning, patterns and you also mentioned shame a moment ago yeah i think it's a perfect way to sort of segue into talking about breaking free from i guess shameful patterns as well as traumatic patterns yeah. and, and my my first question for you allison is how does the pattern actually develop when it comes to trauma and for shame um yeah it's a great question so i i the way that I look at them, and I talk about this uh, link in in this next book that's coming out in in the best of you is, is kind of a, a broad overview of these dynamics. Um, the my first book was sort of a very specific modality that treats these dynamics. So this one is actually a little bit more accessible. Um, trauma, any kind of trauma, especially childhood traumas, creates a nervous system response. We know this now right? This is not an, an issue of just calm down. It's like, no, my nervous system is firing. <laughs> like It's happening in my body. And if you imagine a child who is witnessing violence or experiencing violence, they don't know that. And so their nervous system learns to constantly be on cortisol, adrenaline, you know, all, all those chemicals are coursing through to where as an adult that, that impacts yeah. them. And it's in the body. Um, now, what happens though is shame. If, if in that moment, when that thing occurred, no one comes alongside, not everything like that has to become a trauma. Someone comes alongside and says, this is what's happening. You are not crazy. This is normal. We can work you through a process. So for me, I had that. So it was a couple of months. But if that never happens, shame comes in. And I believe this is where the enemy um, Kurt Thompson, one of my favorite psychiatrists, um, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, I highly recommend it, The Soul of Shame. He talks about shame as evil's vector, right? And, and shame comes in and says, there's something wrong with you. There's something wrong. You made this bad thing happen. You're the reason that you 
feel this way. And shame just loves to play upon that vulnerability of a wound. And so, you know, if that wound doesn't get healed, and I liken it to, you know, if you, again, you broke your arm as a child, no one ever took you to a doctor, you, you know, you learn how to live with it. But as an adult, your arm doesn't work right. Let's say you finally go to a doctor, it's going to be a lot harder to heal that than if you'd gone when you were eight. We can still do it, but it's been living in your body for a long time. Mm -hmm. Similar with these traumatic injuries that come through our emotional life. So to answer your question, I think that any kind of wound to the soul becomes a vulnerability where shame can get in and kind of magnify these self-shaming messages that there's something wrong with me, as opposed to what happened. And as therapists, we, we are trained to ask the question, something happened. And to your term, what happened to you? Tell me your story. Because I bet if we get to the root of your story, we're going to find out that something happened that wasn't your fault. Yeah. And that we need to heal the messages you're telling yourself around that story. Thank you for sharing that explanation. It made a lot of sense to me. And I wanted to, I wanted to ask you, because a, a question that keeps coming up for me is, yes, we, we have the responsibility as, as humans to do our best to heal from trauma because trauma sucks. It's horrible. But the main question that I'm curious about is, well, if we are a Christian, mm -hmm. why doesn't God just, you know, heal it for us? Like, why doesn't he just do it? <laughs> like, we pray and ask him, you know, remove this burden from my life, kind of like Paul does. Uh, I have an affliction. Why can't you remove it? And God's obvious... I'm probably answering my own question here. Maybe I'll just let you explain this. Well, I'm laughing because in this book that's coming out, I go through the 11 questions that people tend to ask. And, and chapter 10 is, why doesn't God just fix everything? Which huh. is basically what you're asking. Like, like <laughs> why, why, why doesn't God just fix it? Like, why do we have to, you know? And I, it's a million dollar question. So I, that, theologians and scholars and people like you and me have tried to answer for it. So I'm not going to answer it in one, but I'll say where I've, I've, where I think I've landed on it is a couple of things. I don't know. <laughs> so that's what I'll start with. I don't know. People a lot smarter than me have tried to answer this question forever. Um, I think a couple of things though, I think our God is relational. And I think, I think the process of working out the details of our healing is sacred and holy and not it's it's a part of i want to think think about how to say this carefully it's a part of our the work of our life for forever and it starts now and i've been informed on my thinking by nt wright who is a theologian who talks a lot about i don't know if you're familiar with his work he talks a lot about god this idea of sozo or salvation, that sozo is also translated as healing. And then when it says that God came to save us, sometimes we think of that as God came to like, boom, save us, boom, into another life. And really, what if God came to heal us as we're, we live in this broken world as a result of the fall, and it's a journey and that journey of healing starts now. It's not a one-time thing when we, after we die or it's, 
starts now, but it is a journey because we still live in a broken world. And so it's this journey of constantly both being a part of God's healing balm in my own soul, but bringing more, as I do that, I bring more and more of that healing balm into this broken world. And how would I know how to do that if I hadn't gone through that process myself? You know, how do I know how to connect with you and your pain if I haven't had the Lord meet me in my pain and lead me through a process of healing it? And somehow that is part of this journey we're all on together that leads us ultimately into healing that, you know, is that redemptive healing, hopefully that'll be for all time. Um, But I do think that journey becomes beautiful. I don't wish the pain on anyone. And I don't think God does either. But I think by allowing the healing to become a process, we engage in this world that we live in, in more powerful ways in ourselves, in our relationships with others, and in bringing more and more of God's healing into the world around us. When you're speaking of healing, especially God's healing Mm -hmm. for the world and our own lives as well, is it actually possible if we do the work hard enough, all these things, is it possible to truly heal from past wounds and even some present ones? I think so. I do. I think we can heal. I think the body is designed to heal. I think our, and by the body, I mean the whole, the mind, holistically, mind, heart, soul, body. We are designed to heal, to be whole, because we were made to bear the image of God. And while there is brokenness, while there will always be brokenness while we are here, you know, we are also designed to heal. And I think that is the journey, capital T, capital J. That is the way of following Jesus is to choose every single day to go on that healing journey. So it's a little bit of a, yes, I think we can heal. And I think we see milestones to get to your earlier question. I've seen I've seen healing in myself that I wouldn't have thought possible mentally, emotional, spiritually. Um, and I'm still a human and I'm still in process. Yeah. I like and I've seen it in my clients. I, I see my clients mm-hmm. heal, grow, develop more emotional health, more spiritual health, more mental health. And there's always still life still going to come in. You know, <laughs> I like how you mentioned the body is designed to heal and you look at like a, a wound on, on the skin, for example, That's right. like I look at the amount of mozzie bites that I have <laughs> and like the, the scar that remains, it doesn't mean that the, the wound is still there. It means it's covered up. It's healed. That's you right. may have a scar there, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's still painful. And that's, that's right. what I equate to internal pain that I've healed as well. Like it doesn't affect me the same way it used to affect it doesn't. me. It's just like, it doesn't trigger me the same way either. It's just like, it's a beautiful process. But the main the main thing is for people, they've got to actually get there. They've got to do the work and make that choice, right? We do. And that's the part that God doesn't necessarily just zap us with a wand. Sometimes God does. But more often, <laughs> in the work that I see as a therapist for 20 years, we have to be open to that process We have to be open to the pain and we have to be open 
to walking in the way of healing. And then we start to notice, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. You know, it's almost like physical therapy. It's like, it's slow, tiny, tiny, tiny steps. And sometimes you get big breakthroughs, you know, and it's amazing. Um, but it's no different than with our physical body. We train our physical body. It's, 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 we partner, we participate in that process. Yeah. I've looked at it. I'd much rather go through the pain than Mm -hmm. run from the pain. Either way, I'm going to end up in pain, but the better alternative is going through it because on the other side is that peace and that freedom that you were mentioning before. But yes. you just got to be willing to go through a little bit more pain and discover all those those questions that a lot of people often are scared to ask themselves, like yeah. who they really are. Those yeah. those are important things. I really believe and, so. And I would add because I think this is a whole different way of it changes your whole life. We we aren't designed to be alone in our pain, and. As we go through pain and as we learn who the people are that honor our pain, that bear witness to it, and we realize, oh, that magnifies healing. Doesn't I mean, a therapist is great. It doesn't have to be a therapist. We, our relationships change because those relationships are so rich then because we do that for, you know. And so then that's part of going through the pain is in, in a weird way, there's this old saying, you know, shared joy is twice the joy, shared sorrow, half the sorrow. We still have the pain. We still have the sorrow, but we're with somebody in it, which is part of the healing. And it also lightens the pain. So it's a weird way how this all works together because it, as we are willing to go through pain and invite people to join us in that, we actually not only heal ourselves, but we have richer relationships. Mm. Yeah, it's powerful. Mm-hmm. When, when in your life, Allison, has been your most vulnerable moment? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a good question. I mean, I can think of a parade of, but probably the, the, the real answer is that moment when my husband threw me in the car and raced me to the ER and I had lost control of the left side of my body. I'd never felt a terror like that. Mm. Just because I had no control. No. And I'd never had something like that before, like what you've had, you know? So that was probably just the, the sheer vulnerability of the things parading through my mind of bargain, all the things we talk about bargaining with God, God, you can't, you know, you know, all the, the ways that we, when we feel vulnerable, um, so that was probably, there's others, certainly many others. How long ago did the strike happen? Two years, about two years. Two almost years, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It'll be about two years as this next book comes out. So, um, and, and the vulnerability, our vulnerability, again, it brought up even, the, and it's not, and that's why it was so, because it brought up, there was shame messages, mm-hmm. um, kind of this. I I talk about it in the introduction, but I had just kind of landed on this message that felt so important to me, which was the start of this book, which was this idea that we have to learn to partner with God in this, um, we can't just blindly trust, you know, other people that it's a process, it's a journey. And 
there was a lot of like, was this, did God kind of smite me stuff going, you know, it was, there was a lot. Um, and then even just shame from when I was a kid where I felt vulnerable and I felt like, um, I was alone and I felt that, um, maybe God didn't see me, that God didn't care that I was invisible. Some of that stirred up. Um, and these are all themes I write about. So it all got tested. It was like, it, it took me months to kind of get back on the horse of writing about these ideas again, because I had to test my own, um, my own, uh, does what I believe work type of thing. Yeah. What was the most challenging part for you in actually writing this book and I guess making it happen? Like writing a book is no easy thing. No. Yeah. What was what was most challenging for you with this one? Um, that's a great question. Um, I think it, the lofty answer is I really wanted kind of where I started. I wanted to stay true. I wanted to write about what I not just knew, what I didn't just know intellectually and academically and from my practice and psychologically, which, but also what I knew to be true in my own experience of life. So I didn't want to write about things that I, and that's why that stroke, while it was so terrifying, also became my greatest teacher because I immediately had to apply all the things that I tell my clients. I had to walk through that process myself. So um, it, it, it was both a challenge, um, but it was also, because every time when you're writing, you know this, you just, you know, you're working on one yourself, you're, you're testing, you know, the authenticity or testing, does this really work? Does this, I, I, it was important to me to say, does this work with, does what I am suggesting here resonate with people who've come through terrible atrocities of all kinds and people that are Maybe they've had a nice family. You know, I had a nice family. Maybe they had a nice family, but there's just some minor little T traumas, you know, the hard things. Um, that that for me was just a labor of wanting to make sure that I was constantly thinking through a lot of different lenses as I wrote. I liked it, but it was also exhausting. <laughs> yeah, completely understand that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I struggle with major imposter syndrome. Like, who am I? Yeah. I'm a young I was 23 at the time when I started writing it. And then now I'm almost 26 when it's about to come out. And I'm just like, who am I? Like, have I really experienced enough to, right. to share? Yeah. But then God just yeah. said, share it anyway. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I'm grateful that I did. <laughs> and if you're wise enough to be asking that question, you're probably on the right track. I always say, people always say to me, how do I know if I'm this is a little unrelated, but they'll say to me, people say, how do I know I'm not a narcissist? And I'm like, mm -hmm. if you're really asking the question, <laughs> honestly, and examining it, you're probably not because the people who are, aren't, you know, aren't, aren't asking that. <laughs> yeah. They avoid the question altogether. They like, avoid the question oh, no altogether. way. I can't yeah. be a narcissist. No. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Reflection. That's right. <laughs> I'm yeah. not an imposter. I know everything. This is perfect. <laughs> you know, that's probably I mean, good cue that you shouldn't be reading that person's book. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's good to know. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I have all the answers. <laughs> I'm all knowing. And then all of a sudden, as I've learned, as God so often does, in failure, you learn life's greatest lesson, humility. Humility. And, that's right. Oh, my goodness. How many times have I been knocked down by God and just shown humility? It's, it's the way. 
And what I've found is it goes hand in hand with confidence. It's that Mm -hmm. freedom. Because the more we have true humility before God and know what we don't know, the more we're really confident about what we do know. It's this weird paradox. It's like, okay, I know I don't know everything, but I know some things. And these are really important things. And and it's freedom. It's freedom. Yeah. Mm. Love the message of freedom, honestly. Um, I've got two quick final questions for you, Alison, if that's okay with you. Uh, What do you love the most about yourself and your story? Gosh, that's a good question. Um, I'm used to um, turning these questions on other people. It's very, I'm noticing it. I'm like, I have a really hard time when that spotlight comes. I'm like, wow, nobody ever asked me these questions. I ask these questions to other people. I love that. Thank you for that. Um, Because that's a great question for clients. You know, what do you like about yourself? It's such an Mm -hmm. important question. I love that you ask that. Um, I like my honesty. and that, that willingness to own, um, maybe humility that I've, is the better word that, that, um, no, I'm going to revise that. You might have to edit that out. Um, cause I want to give you an honest answer. I, it's okay. I think, I think I do. I think what I like the most about myself is that, that just um, that honesty. Mm. I I am what you see is what you're going to get. And I'm, I'm, I've worked hard for that. You know, I've, I've lived parts of my life where I've tried to shape shift, where I've tried to camouflage. I've tried to people please. It's not to say that it's not still there, but I've worked really hard at it. And I, I really love, I'm proud of the fruit of that in a good way. I'm proud of the fruit of, of just that freedom that I, I'm just who I am. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and that, that feels really good to me. And I'm, I'm, I like it about myself. Yeah. So. You're the best of you authentically. <laughs> learning, learning. Yeah. And then what was the uh, second part of it? I can't remember the second part of your question. What you love the most about your story. Oh, most of my story, I think to get to where I am now, I felt like I had to do a lot of it um, in an unorthodox way. I didn't necessarily take the straightest line. There's a creativity in me. So I took a lot of tricks and turns and I've learned to really like that about my story. Mm, at I times know. I was like, man, why am I, I didn't hit marks. You know, I got different hit marks at the same time. Other people were hitting marks and I got married late. And, and then I took this detour here and I did this thing there. And at this point in my life, I'm like, I like that about my story. I mm. like it that I didn't take necessarily the straightest path. There are a lot of bends and turns in my, my story that I, I'm really glad are there. You didn't follow everyone else. Yeah, I didn't. No. Did thing. Yeah. Very much the same. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very much the same. Yeah. Yeah. Good. I like that. This is uh, my, my all time favorite question. I love asking all my guests at the very end, but before I ask it, where do you want people to connect with you, Alison, get your new book, all those wonderful things. Yeah. And the best place is probably my website, which is just dr. Allison cook.com. It's Allison with one L 
that's my Instagram handle, Dr. Allison Cook. I have a free weekly newsletter I send out every Thursday. I have a podcast every Thursday, but all that's on my website. And that's where the new book, you, you know, you find out all the information about the new book there as well. Well, I'll make sure everyone knows where to find you for Thank sure. You. And like I said, in the very beginning, your work is inspiring. So mm. people go and check it out. Like I said, just a moment ago, it's my all-time favorite question. It is a hypothetical one, but I want you yep. to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your okay. friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of oh everything boy. you've ever said and everything you've ever done. I know, don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life. Feel free to take as much time as you need. Mm -hmm. That I reached the members of God's flock who are hurting the most, including the parts of myself. something along those lines that I, that I somehow was able to reach those who need God's love the most and who are hurting the most with the message of his love, including the parts of myself mm. that need that message the most. That is a beautiful send off. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Alison Cook, thank you so much for your time today, your wisdom and your advice. And for joining me today on the Storybox podcast, I really, really enjoyed it. I did too. Thank you for having me. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.